Joshua has allowed me to uh, take 10, maybe 15 minutes of your time um, to broach a topic here in the sukkah. And um, I'm not one to mince words, as you know. And of late, we've seen a Karite resurgence. You've seen my posts on this. And I thought that uh, it might be wise for us to just get some counsel. We're not the only community in town. As you know, there's another community that branched off from us that was uh, not as concerned about the rabbinic liturgy and so forth, but more concerned about fellowship and studying the Bible. I don't have any problem with that. I hope you don't. Uh, godly people and, uh, and a good friend of mine is, uh, is hosting that. But his community is being torn asunder by the, by the Karite move. And most of it is coming from Nehemia Gordon and from his uh, podcasts, comments, and so forth. Um, so I, uh, I committed to this man that I would give him some bullet points on what to speak of with regard to the Karite movement. And what I would say, bullet by bullet, that should be questioned, if not refuted. So over the next couple of minutes, maybe you could just think for a second. And if you were presented with a Karite thought, for example, that we're in this sukkah, And we seem to be about three days off. So he's got some folks in his community that are saying, well, no, we're, we're not fasting today, last Saturday, for Yom Kippur. Because Yom Kippur is not today, Saturday. It's Tuesday. It's next Tuesday, three days later. So how would you respond to something like that? How would you respond to, uh, now we're not, we're not going to go to the Tashlik service because, well, that's, that's a rabbinic made-up thing. That's, that's not biblical. And our focus is on the scripture. These are the, these are the kind of questions he's getting. And unlike, unlike me, hosting the Tzadi class, having the privilege of hosting most of the time the Bellatoric community, I'm surrounded by godly men like you. And when I make a mistake, you're not there to tear me up. You, you're there because you've got my back. And you want to help me to understand the scriptures. And you want to help me to become a more godly man. And I appreciate that more than you know. I'm tired of writing notes to you guys. I'm grateful. Trust me. He doesn't have that. He doesn't have other men with which he can confide and sit down and chat with. He doesn't have a portion discussion that's filled with men like you who not only are reading the scriptures, but are looking at what the rabbi's saying, determining if it meets that scriptural par, and then sharing. He's all alone. I feel for this man. So I want to help him. So 
I bring it to you, my friends and my colleagues, my fellow Tzadikim. What would you say? Where would you start? What would you Come do? back to Bellatora. Yes! <laughs> and there we have it. Tape done. <laughs> I think that one of the biggest things that I would key in on is uh, looking at... Because rabbinic... Well, first century, we're talking about perhaps the most diverse, divided, confused Judaism and, and ever. And, and to your point, isn't it ironic, as you and I were just talking about earlier this evening, that most of the visible expression of the church today would see the first century Judaism as being monolithic, right. but you have, have demonstrated that it's as fractured as can be. In fact, I would... Uh, well, there's a whole lot of other things that he doesn't need to hear all that. But point is, extremely fractured. You've got an entire group that's wandered off in the desert by themselves because they're so fed up with the corruption inside the temple. The Sadducees are buying and selling the high priesthood, um, and they're at, at complete... They're, they're basically um, monopolizing the temple service thanks to the support of the Romans. Um, you've got the Pharisees who are actually killing each other over the issue of Gentiles, literally. Um, it's a complete disaster. In the midst of all this, you put the master. And the master... In the fullness of time. In the fullness of time. And the master is uh, is shockingly consistent with as much as he could maintain a level of unity. And I think that, that when you see he, 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 he's hesitant not to go up to the festival with his brothers, but he's there. He doesn't go and preach in the middle of the desert. He goes to the temple. He doesn't go, um, he doesn't reject the traditions. Um, on the contrary, every time Yeshua actually argues with the traditions, with the exception of healing, the other occasions, it's always his disciples who are breaking the traditions and he's defending them. But the accusations are not leveled against him. Um, he eats in the home of a Pharisee, which is extremely special. Pharisees had only eaten the homes once. of those, only eaten the homes of those that they agreed with. Um, and his disciples learn from this lesson and we see that where are they every single day they're in the temple praying they didn't go and meet in someone's house to pray they always went to the temple where does Paul always go first he always goes to the synagogue to the place of prayer he never starts with hey guys I just want to let you know I'm going to go to the, you know, the local first century Walmart I'm going to round up some converts then we're going to go meet out in the middle of nowhere and have some cool praise and worship songs he always goes to Orthodox Judaism first. He never makes... Another thing that's fascinating about the, the apostolic uh, scriptures is when it comes to Judaism, the focus, I feel like, for them, or the consistency for them, they go to the synagogue, or they go to the temple until they're kicked out. They never cut themselves off. Um, and I think that if we talk about what would Yeshua do, what, do the, what, what does the scriptures do? The scriptures maintain unity Amen. with greater Israel. And I don't mean greater Israel as in saved Israel. I mean unsaved, heathen, screwed up, messed up. They are doing everything wrong, practically, Israel. Yeah. I mean, Shavuot, they are there in the house, not a person's house, yeah. in the house, the, the temple. And the, only, and the proof that there's the, it's the same day as the rest of Israel is because there are at least 5,000 Jews who are also there. There's no reason for them to be there if it's three days late. And, and, and you raise a, a good point that community means with unity. And there was a lot of dissension 
but there was a desire for and an action leading towards unity. And unity was important. Good. Someone else? Greg. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a bunch of things, but <clears throat> um, one comment you made with respect to healing, and um, I think you essentially said that you should differ with the tradition with respect to not healing on the At least on the some spot. people's tradition at the time. Right, and, and that's the key is with respect to the healing issue, that was, the halakha was not settled. Right. There was a debate. Some viewed it shouldn't be done. Some said it should, and some didn't know. And, and today's halakha is a lot closer to him. Yeah, exactly. And Yeshua weighed in on the discussion of the day and said, no, no, it is proper to heal on Shabbat. Human suffering always trumps Shabbat. Amen. Um, with respect to Nehemia Gordon, um, I've had a chance to meet Nehemia. Uh, you know, I've read his yeah, materials and whatever. Good guy. Mm-hmm. Well, well-intended, well-meaning. I think it's important to understand his background um, and what really shaped him in terms of pushing him towards a Karaite um, worldview. He grew up in a traditional Orthodox rabbinic Jewish home. And from his own testimony, unfortunately, he saw some, some hypocrisy at a young age within that community. That people were doing all of these outward commandments, but yet then they'd go home and beat their wife or you know whatever it was, and um, it left him with a really bad, Bitter. cynical taste in his mouth towards anything rabbinic. And from that point, he distanced himself, and then he found Karite Judaism and he embraced it. That's an important point to understand where Nehemiah is coming from, right? I mean, all of us have events and things in our life that shape our views and shape our perspective. He's no different. Unfortunately, in his case, some bad experience in the traditional Orthodox community pushed him away from that towards Karite Judaism and made him anti, quote, rabbi, right? Uh, but Karite Judaism has its own set of traditions and understandings. So, Some of them are based on orthodoxy, like it, the moon. The whole discussion of when the full moon is is based on the Talmud. On the Talmud. Right. Uh, so, um, so I think that's important to understand when, when to, the, to the extent you're specifically talking about um, Nehemiah. I think the other issue, um, the other elephant in the room, on this topic is authority and who has authority to determine halakha etc etc I think it's important to understand that the Torah is not simply a spiritual guidebook for your spiritual well-being although it certainly is that Um, it's not just a guidebook for righteous living although it certainly is that the Torah is a constitution for a government, specifically for God's government. So the analogy is this. We can look at our own country. We have a document here called the Constitution of the United States of America. That constitution was penned by the founding fathers of our great nation. That constitution 
I think we would all agree, has a level of sanctity in this country. Everybody reveres the Constitution. Anybody can go read what the Constitution says. We all know what it says. But yet we have 250 years now of legal precedent where judges sitting on a bench that were appointed by somebody because of presumably their qualifications have taken the sacred document, read it, and then had to interpret it and apply it to specific matters, be they civil or criminal, etc., etc. And their rulings are what we call legal precedent. And those legal precedents have a certain, they have a certain level, they're binding depending on the level of the court that issued it. Certainly a issue, uh, a ruling from the Supreme Court of the United States is law. It is is binding on everybody. Okay? We have to understand that Torah and Jewish law is, it's nothing different. In fact, our system and our legal system and our judicial system to a large and great extent are based on the same model that we see described in the Bible. So when we look at Jewish halakha to a Jew, that is qualified judges. Does that mean the judges were always perfect? Well, of course not. They're men. Just like we would not, nobody would argue every judge sitting on a bench in this country is perfect or or even or, or even good or right? conservative or conservative <laughs> or republican or whatever yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's not the point the point is good bad or indifferent they are sitting on the bench and their rulings um, cannot be ignored that's i think the analogy we need to we need to understand this issue with if we are joining ourselves to a nation if we are joining ourselves to God's people, uh, the people of Israel, believing and unbelieving, right? And how God sorts all that out is why He's God and we're not, right? We're we're joining ourselves to a to a nation, and so it's just like in this country, there's a Supreme Court ruling that says uh, called Roe versus Wade that says. Aborting your unborn child is legal. Do I agree with that ruling? Absolutely not. Do I think it's totally wrong? Absolutely. Is it totally ungodly, unrighteous? Absolutely. Is it the law of this land? Unfortunately. If I go down to an an abortion clinic and I chain myself to the front door, I do that fully expecting to go to jail because I am subject to the law of the nation that I am a part of. And if I don't want to be part of the nation, then I can move to Canada, or I can do whatever, right? So I think it's important that we recognize the Torah is not just a spiritual document. It is a constitution for the kingdom of God. And God provided for judges to to, um, adjudicate and apply the constitution. And that is what halakha is. 
And it doesn't mean we always have to agree with the halakha, but that's, I think, a perspective that is lacking in most messianic communities because they're viewing the Torah simply as a spiritual guide and they're missing the point that this is a constitution for a kingdom uh, and a government and there are judges that are that have adjudicated certain matters down through time. And those judges will be held accountable by God. And that is why we pray every day restore our judges as of old. Amen. Okay, so I think that's a really important point that is sorely lacking in the messianic that's movement. Good. Yeah. Thank you. And just to echo that, Jonathan. in God's economy, there is no separation of church and state. Right. And as much as we're steeped in this Western tradition we have, we have to eject that when, when, when we look at the, the scripture with our 21st century American eyes. There is no separation of church and state in, in, in the context of the, of the scriptures. That's true. That said as well, I would, I would point him to that um, Shaul was physically beaten on several occasions and allowed himself to be beaten when it, when he had the option to to completely disavow and remove himself from the authority that was physically beating him, right. he remained under their authority exactly. to, to take that beating, even when it meant uh, yeah. diminishing his own his own flesh and blood. That's um, that's an extraordinary uh, perspective. He didn't compromise raised. what he believed was true, right? But he also submitted to the authority that was yes. the authority, and. Uh, even in a lesser context, we see that when he stands before the high priest and he mouths off and they slap him across the face. I'm, I'm sorry, he makes a statement. He mouths uh, and they slap him across the face and he mouths off. And he yeah, and he's like, wow, wait a minute, because they reminded him, hey, would you talk that way to the high priest? So here's a, an obviously... Authority who is presenting a, an extraordinarily different perspective, and he was submissive, submissive to that authority. Taylor, comment? Yeah, I think um, we need to ask, well, why the disdain towards one body of tradition? Yeah. I think that a lot of times in the Messianic movement, we're always on our heels, always on defense, trying to defend why we do this and why we do that. I think we got a good case. It's the other side that I think is somewhat needs to be on the defensive. Because if you say it's just me and the Bible, you've got to realize that everybody has traditions. There's, there's no escape from that. We all have, as someone mentioned before, we all grow up with a, in a certain mindset. And that affects how you read the Bible. Uh, not only how you grow up affects how you read the Bible, but a lot of your experiences later in life affect how you read the Bible that might be different than somebody else who simply sits down with you in the Bible. And you may come to two very different conclusions. And so the movement of the Karaites, if I may make an analogy to church history, actually reminds me of the early stages of the Reformation, which most people think is the Reformation... Luther making a stand and everything is good from there. Actually, if you do a detailed study, it's unbelievably messy. It is 
a seemingly a disaster, which is why Luther almost just gives up towards the end of his life, because it's going badly. It's not going how he wants it to go. And so there's different groups uh, in the church history. And so when I was in one of my classes, one of the seminary professors presented people approaching tradition in a certain way, these different groups during the Reformation. Uh, you had, and he compared it to, if you open up a, a desk drawer with all these things in it, there are different approaches to that drawer. Some kind of take out a little bit from that drawer and say, well, I'll keep this infant baptism, but I won't keep this, like the Lord's Supper, or I'll keep this. And so, but then you have this one group called the Anabaptists, and he likens them to, okay, they're going to take out the drawer, they're going to walk over, dump the whole thing in the trash can, set the trash can on fire, because they're thinking, no, it's just us in the Bible. But what does history tell us about that particular group? They splintered immediately, unbelievably quickly, far quicker than anyone else who held on to any sort of remnant of tradition. And what happened to them? They eventually had a lot of people infiltrate them because they had no basis of tradition to go off of. And they fractured, had a lot of false prophets come, up, come about. And so they rose and then they died. And now they're just a, a, uh, a relic of history to be studied. And so if you want to say, well, it's just going to be us in the Bible and we can interpret it, one, that's impossible. You've got traditions. Everyone has traditions that you're bringing to the text. And as one of my favorite teachers used to say, the man who doesn't realize his own traditions is the most bound by them. Uh, and so I think you do well to acknowledge that, hey, there's a group that we are acknowledging has traditions. And you can either go with a set group of traditions that have been around for a lot of time and discuss about them, or it can be up to you. You can sit and develop your own oral Torah. You can develop your own Talmud. You've got to realize it's an oral Torah. You've got your own Talmud. You're simply replacing one authority with another. You're not doing anything more holy than anybody else. I like your comments. Um, I'm reminded of when I was in the, the, the visible representation of the church and sitting as a, a, you know, a preacher, an elder, a deacon, whatever the, the particular uh, place I was at, people would come in. Now I ask you to consider, they walk in, what is the first thing, what's the first thing that they experience? Is it the written Word of God? It's the traditions that the church has. That's what they see. That's what they experience. These traditions. You've seen it. I know you've all seen it. You're sitting in the pew. You don't know anybody in the building. And the pastor... Blah, blah, blah. You don't even know what he said. But everybody stands up. What do you do? You stand up. You have to stand up. You just fit into the tradition. Why? Because we stand up at that point. That's what we do. And I'll say about traditions, I mean, it's ironic that you, you bring up the um, Yom Kippur. Because if you're trying to base 
you're fasting on Yom Kippur on only the Bible. <laughs> you're in a tough my, spot. My question is why you're, why you're even fasting on Yom Kippur because yeah. the word fast doesn't show up with That's Yom Kippur right. Let anywhere. Me, let's afflict that soul. Afflict your soul, which obviously means that I should beat myself all day or that I should go for a 20-mile run or, I mean, I don't know, subject myself to watching bad television. I mean, it's really up to you if you it's just you in the Bible. Amen. And so I think that that's the mistake is that, like Taylor said, like you said, everyone has traditions. Yeah. And I would and I would strongly caution anyone to throw out the Jewish traditions because, first and foremost, they watched, as, as Paul himself said, to them were given the oracles of God. And they kept them Amen. for thousands of years. The text Good, itself, bad, and the, the text right. itself was maintained in integrity. And you can and, go back to the... And, and we have it now because the Jews... You can go back to care. Qumran... From then to now, there's almost no differences right. in the text. And that's because of Orthodox Jews who meticulously wrote it down. And by the way, before you start saying, well, it's just me and the Torah, How do you have absolutely the Torah? not true because Hebrew has no vowels. There are many words that are absolutely identical without the vowel markings. You have no idea what the Tanakh is saying if it wasn't for Orthodox Jews who used their traditions about what that word was and put the vowel markings in. If it wasn't for Orthodox traditions, Gentiles you would have, would have no idea. You would have gobbledygook in Hebrew. You would have no clue what it was talking about. That's exactly. Right. Can I also That's exactly add something right. that yes, point? go ahead. If it's just you and the Tanakh, you wouldn't have a Tanakh without the Jews. That's right. They they were the ones who decided what's in and what's out. That's right. Oh, also true. They're, 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 the bottom line is same thing for the apostolic. Same, same thing for the apostolic. If you want to, if you want to throw out all tradition. As the pure Karite would say, you don't have Goodbye a Bible. <laughs> you don't have a Bible. Isaac, anything? I'm just all ears tonight. That's fine. Colby? One thing that I really liked about coming here and just being here is just the fact that you can talk about ideas and talk about you know, different things that are always brought up and approached from a different way. And it's so much different than the public school system, mm. which... You know, we're always encouraged to think in the process, and uh, you know, if you if you really disagree with something, you just do a class on it. Because um, we can, it's like bar talk, right? There's no winner in an argument at right, bar. Right, right. Um, there's nobody's facts are proven. Exactly. And all that stuff. So I think it takes some real chutzpah just to be committed to a community. And if you really have a problem, and you really want you to bring say it to the table, then your opinion will be more highly valued based on the time you've sewed in and then at the same time um, yeah you just bring it to the table and in that book King of the Jews that you gave me I'm rereading it again because you gave it to me this time last year so yeah, yeah. it's really weird like that because um, I love you so much but <laughs> um, you know one of the first introductory it says if truth is truth and it's going to be able to withstand stuff so yeah. you know I think it's really good if I mean, nobody has a, has a problem throwing out should we practice Islam because it's not going to withstand anything. That's right? right. You can't. That's right. You can't throw that against yeah. anything. And I think the last thing that we should ever consider is church split because that's the easy thing to do and just you go bet. start yourself. You just walk away and start yeah. all over. Um, you raise a good point though, um, and and the Tzadik class I think is consistent with Orthodox Judaism uh, in that in the in the yeshiva. That's what it's all about. You raise the question, and it's argued publicly, and everyone understands the arguments for and against. And that's what we've tried to do here. 
in a loving way. If you want to bring something up, you bring it up. We talk about it publicly, and as a group, we agree, well, that was just the stupidest thing I ever heard, so we're not going to do that, right? And everybody goes, hoorah, and we don't do that. Or someone will, uh, someone with a lot of wisdom will say, you know, the care that you show to the Torah, to the scroll itself, is extraordinarily important. Not only for the way you walk, but for who might be watching and why we do it and how it relates to Messiah Yeshua. And you're like, wow, I never thought about it. That's extraordinary. So I, I agree with you. That's good. Brock, anything? I guess. Don't feel compelled. The only thing I would say, kind of echo what kind of what Joshua was saying, is that I, I feel like the bias is more against the Orthodox, the Jewish traditions themselves, not against tradition by itself. Okay. Because like I wasn't raised in a Jewish mindset, like just by and large for me. Right. Right. But I was raised to respect my elders. Okay. And so, for example, um, on, on Shabbat, you have a tra- tradition of saying manjane after breaking bread. Exactly. For example, let's say I don't like that tradition, but because I'm in your house, I respect your tradition and I follow it. Well, sure. I wasn't taught that because I'm following the Torah. I was taught that because that's the way my father taught me, but he wasn't taught that either. But, you know, it wasn't because he was Jewish. It's because... You know, he was taught to respect elders and taught me the same thing. So I think it's less people not, it's not that people have a problem with traditions, it's they have a problem with Jewish traditions themselves. Because well, now, okay, so now you, you brought out the, uh, as Greg would say, out of the, bag. the other elephant in the room or the, the cat has come out of the bag. It, it doesn't appear to be a problem with tradition for tradition's sake, does it? It does appear to be, rather, whose traditions they are. Right. And, and, and I've, I've said to a couple of you uh, uh, over the past couple of days, as, as uh, we've been meeting in, in other men's Sukkot, um, I don't disagree. I think that's exactly right. But I've been in this walk longer than most of you. And I can tell you that as I've articulated with how cool is that right I've articulated with those who are still in the visible representation of the church and some of those who are in a messianic walk of some type and are, are preferring a, a carrot view I would say something along the lines of well I mean well then it, it really comes down to anti-semitism but uh, I, I you know, I try to give them an out, and, and of course they say, well, yeah, I know it sounds like anti-Semitism, but, it, but I'm not anti-Semitic. I have yet to come up to a single person, not one man, who's looked me in the eye and go, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, I'm an anti-Semite. Right, yeah, well, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do anything that has anything to do with those Jews. <laughs> not, not one man has said that to me. So anti-Semitism seems to have a cultural ding against it. But I can't disagree with you at all, Brock. I think you're exactly right. And and even last night, like, personally, and we had a conversation about this, personally, you know, I'm, you know, wrestling with the idea of wearing seat seat all the time. Right, right? Yeah. I was talking to Joshua about it. Right, 
And, you know, he was telling me, like, well, this isn't Torah, and this isn't the talk, and blah, blah, blah. Well, I had to say, I can't disagree with anything you're saying. And, 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 and it comes down to, well, whose traditions are you following? You can follow how you were raised. Right, and, and, and for you, is. you've already made that decision. But the question becomes, when you walk into the marketplace wearing those tzitzit out, what's the problem? Because I know you've already made that decision. I know that you follow the traditions of the elders, by and large, for the most part. I know you personally do. So what's the problem emotionally of wearing the tzitzit out when you walk into the marketplace? Well... It comes down to that very thing. Not that you're an anti-Semite. It's that you know that you're surrounded by anti-Semites. <laughs> That's the problem. My dad used to always say, I'm not concerned about your driving on the road. I'm worried about everybody, everybody else's else driving. Is. That's exactly right. God bless you. Good points. Peter, anything? Just yes, sir. Well, on that point before we leave it, it, it's sad when, when it's a um, an incognito anti-Semitism. <coughs> because when the Messianic movement lose the gratitude mm. of... Of, of the heritage they have of being, or, or why? Why do we? For, how do we forget that it's messianic Judaism? Or why don't we just go up to Jews and say, "Thank you"? It's, it's, it breaks my heart to say this, but break. Thank you for for not accepting Messiah, because now you've allowed me. You have given up your place in the world to come, so that I can actually love your God. When Amen. did we lose that respect and that yes. uh, and, and, and that sense of humility? That it's it, that we should. These people have literally sacrificed their their eternity for our sake, perhaps. Amen. And and if and if we lose sight of how indebted we are to them via Messiah, yes, then our our whole perspective will be different. On the internet right now, one nineteen ministries. Oh yeah. Okay. And I've I've looked at some of their stuff, and they have some good stuff. They're a Hebrew roots ministry. They're right. not, you know, they're not espousing Judaism or whatever. They're a Hebrew roots ministry. And they, for the most part, they have some good stuff, right? And somebody um, who's on the periphery of, of our community sent me a link to their teaching on the calendar. And, uh, and this particular individual sort of holds to a more Karaite view on the calendar. So he sent me the 119 Ministries video teaching on the calendar, and I listened to it, and they basically was three three methods for determining the calendar. The Hallel second rabbinic calendar is one, and and the uh, you know determining the Aviv is another one, and then the lunar the lunar Sabbath calendar is mm-hmm. right. and they immediately dismiss the Hallel one because that's all made up um, and man made. They dismissed the lunar one because of some scriptural problems with it, and they they say the 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 Karite, you know determining the Aviv is the right one. Uh, but what's what I find funny about all of that is, um, it, it, by the way, their scriptural teaching is accurate. Okay, so in other words, they are correct when they say, according to the Bible, we should determine the beginning of the year according to the Aviv. And by the way, the rabbis would not disagree with that. Precisely. Okay. But what I find funny about all this, because in the, they, in the first part of their teaching, they spend probably the first 20 minutes going all the way back to Genesis and talking about how God gave this, the stars and the sun and the moon as signs. as books, as right. signs that you would determine all these things by. Right. Okay. So, and there's a big emphasis on that. Well, isn't it funny 
that the the uh, the uh, the solar and lunar eclipses that will be happening in the next two years, the ot, the signs in the heaven, do not fall on the Karite reckoning. They, <laughs> they fall, fall on the Moed of Kalel second dates. That's right. So the very signs that God placed in the heaven correspond to the Hallel second calendar exactly. that was made up by the rabbis. Yeah, that's funny. And, and, and I think to your point, um, they're right. Scripturally, it says, you should determine it this way. But that you is a plural you. Yes. Which everywhere else that's him, not is, is, is clearly uh, a, a leadership Event and Orthodox Rabbinic Judaism says that is the job of the Sanhedrin, and we don't have one. And until we have a Sanhedrin that can legally and halakhically reestablish that, we got what we got. Then we're going to stick to the Hallel second calendar, which God apparently is okay with because the oat line up with that. Eh. So, surprise, good, outstanding, great comments, Peter. I think we're up to you. Anything? I don't have anything. That's okay. interesting. That's cool, isn't it? And, and God didn't change anything. You know, since NASA can predict those things. Here's the thing. Yeah. I you everybody know that we're, we're using NASA and their website to go back in time to figure out when those signs happen, these lunar eclipses, these blood moons, etc., and we can go forward based on the studies that they've done with their mathematics for their site. This is not a religious site in any way. Well, some. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Yeah. So we're looking at, and, and several years ago, we did a class on the fact that there would be a tetrad, a blood moon tetrad. That's four blood moons in a row. And those would be a long ways off, 2014, 2015. Well, gosh, that's not that far off. Pesach and Sukkot, 2014. Pesach and Sukkot, 2015. And they will fall right when Orthodox Judaism, according to the Hillel 2 calendar, says they will be. And you've got a solar eclipse on Rosh Hashanah. That's right, solar eclipse on Rosh Hashanah. And here's scares the king, guys. Could it be, is it possible... That God uses, you know, those Orthodox Jews who don't even believe in Jesus. How we know that, I don't know. But <laughs> is it possible that even in their unbelief and rejection of the Messiah, He can still use them to preserve truth? I, mean, I sure hope so. How cool is that? That's a powerful God. And if we can't, if we can't get over that, then. Have a nice life as a Karite. I mean, I, I mean, I, yeah. you're, 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 you're welcome at my spot table anytime. But you'll be mostly alone. Head in the ground. <laughs> Anything? I do have a few things. Uh, first of all, about the calendar. By the way, I've got three and a half minutes left. I'll make this quick. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've heard of the same argument and I've looked through the material, uh, but. In the discussion about Orthodox versus Karaite, everything that we've said thus far, I'm reminded, Greg, of a 
conversation you and I have had about how whatever we're looking into, we're looking at some type of commentary. That's right. So it's either Matthew Henry's commentary or it could be Rambon's. Or Nehemia Gordon. Or Nehemia Gordon. You know, we are looking at it through some type of lens. That's right. And so that's what I've been dwelling on as these men have been offering their great insights. And also to your comment, Jonathan, I appreciate what you said about the Apostle Paul, you know, bringing Romans up, because he warns Gentile believers who come into belief in Yeshua, who are grafted into Israel, not to boast against the natural branches. That's right. So, that's good. That's over that's good. Senor. Well, uh, all really, really good comments and really helpful points. I think individually, the topic of tradition has come up in pockets. I know even Pete and I were talking about it a little bit today, but one of the things that I would just throw out there, in addition to everything else, was as far as a, an argument for keeping certain traditions while maintaining what we all hold so dear, Yeshua. I mean, that's really what is the glue of our community. It's just nobody, I guess nobody really takes it so far as to say like, oh, well, they're so traditional and everything. But then, I mean, it really comes down to, well, why aren't we at Temple Israel then? Like, why aren't we fellowshipping with the actual, you know, Jews at the Chabad house? Right. Because they don't believe in Yeshua. They're not I mean, talking about him at all. And that's so right. that's what we're doing. We're, you bet. We're, we're striving very hard to winnow through a lot of the commandments and um, and the traditions to see which ones apply, which ones uphold Yeshua. And, and even the liturgy. Don't. And, and even the liturgy. But I, I feel like that's, it's an important, it really does come down to like your perspective a lot of times on Yeshua and how you approach the traditions. Because if you think that he was a total rebel, well, of course, then that's going to influence the way that you want to walk out your, that's right. your Torah walk. That's right. By you know, oh, see, he rejected the Pharisees and called them all kinds of names, and so that's what I'm going to do, basically. Right. But we forget, as some people have already brought up, he was dining with Pharisees. He was actually going and participating in a traditional service, reading Isaiah that's from right. the Bema. That's right. And even, I mean, even physically, he looked like a Jew because the the woman at the well was able to pick him out and say, like, oh, you guys don't really talk with us, so I don't know. So, but. Mm. So anyway, just the, that, that I think is an important point to bring up in, in coming back to Yeshua and being like, well, what, what do you think he did? I mean, really, yeah. was, was he a Karaite? No. Because it doesn't seem that you can back that up based That's on exactly Scripture. Right. That's exactly right. In fact, nearly 10,000 Orthodox Jews, not just nominal Jews, Orthodox Jews, Levites, priests, those who knew the Word of God, those who knew what it said, recognized that this man was the Messiah, long promised and sent by God. That doesn't happen if he's a rebel. I want to thank you for having me in your sukkah. The fact that these guys showed up was kind of cool. It could have been just you and me, but it was nice having these guys. May I pray for all of you? Avino our Avino Avino Malkinu, our Father and our King, I am so grateful for these men. For it's through these men that you share with me 
your desires, your insights, and your guidance for me in my life. And I am grateful for each one of them. Every man here. I pray that you'll bless them. I pray, Father, that they would recognize the season in which we find ourselves. And that soon and in our days, there'll be a Sukkot in which you'll sit in a circle with us. And we won't need to turn on the tape. And most of us will just defer to you. I pray for myself at that time, Father, because I'll desire to speak. And I, I, I just look for your hand on my shoulder to just help me to shut up. I think every man here believes and desires that. And that's why I like to spend time with them. Father, we pray for your soon return that you would send Messiah Yeshua to save us from a wicked and perverse generation. We pray for those in Orthodox Judaism, Father, that have not recognized that Yeshua is your promised, long-promised Messiah. We pray for those, Father, who are being distracted by Karite Judaism. We pray, Father, that they would recognize the folly and the distraction. And we pray, Father, that as we leave this sukkah, you would find righteous men willing, empowered, and desiring to walk in your mitzvot, your statutes, your pikudim. I thank you, Father, for Joshua, for his desire to put up a sukkah and invite godly men to sit in it. We thank you, B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach, and all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Amen.